talk about this. Benefit of the doubt. Talking this morning out of John, the 20th chapter, verses 24 through 31, which is what immediately follows what we, uh, what we discussed, what we preached on last week. But would you just take a moment and join me in a word of prayer? Father, thank you so much for your grace and mercy as evident in those who are here today who have been sustained by your power. I think about Walter and Pam as Walter's gone through his ordeal, Judy, Judy Cheney as she's gone through her ordeal. But Lord, there, there are a number of us that can say, if it had not been for the Lord on our side, tell me where would I be? Lord, you brought Leola through that whole ordeal, all the way through the sentencing of, of, of the, the man who, who killed her, her daughter, and you gave her the, the strength to be there and to, to be present and to, and, and to stand and to, to be a part of that process and to, to, to advocate for justice. You sustained her through that, and you put people around her to walk with her, and, and she has been an inspiration to us through this. And on and on and on. There's so many stories in this room right now. We thank you for your grace and mercy, because even for those of us who are quiet and don't say anything, there are a number of, uh, just a thousand little ways in which you demonstrate your love and your faithfulness to us every day. So, Lord, today, as we, as we open the pages of Scripture, would you enable us to, to mine from your word, from the depths of your truth, to mine forth nuggets of, of spiritual gold, diamonds that would, that would, that would sparkle with the light of, of Christ? Would you en- en- enable us to... to to reach down and to partake of the riches of, of truth that are contained in your word. By the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, speak to us and shape us and mold us and form us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Benefit of the doubt. In John 20, beginning at verse 24, we see, we pick up where we left off last week where Jesus has encountered uh, post-resurrection the disciples. He comes into the room, walks through the wall, through the locked door, into the room where they are. He appears to his disciples. And, um, of course, in doing so, validates their, you know, their belief in the grave, gives them the proof of his being risen from the grave that they need. And he uh, appears in their midst. He, he, he uh, gives them a word of commission. He breathes on them and encourages them to receive the Holy Spirit. And, and then uh, we go a little, a little further here, and we pick up the text here in verse 24. And it says, Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, uh, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. And so it says that uh, the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. In, ver- in the next, verse, uh, well, next sentence it says, But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Verse 28, 26 rather. A week later, his disciples were in the house again. You remember last week, right? Well, they're in the house again. Remember Willie Nelson said on the road again? Well, the disciples are in the house again. And just like last week, you'll see it very similarly. But it says they were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, and listen to these words. He says, put your, put your finger here. He says, see my hands? Re- reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And then John concludes with these words. He says, Jesus performed many signs in the presence of the disciples which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Sometimes we ask the question, what's in a name? Names are an interesting thing. Uh, I'm grateful for my grandson, who had to be carried out of the service on this morning. He was so overcome by the Spirit. 
young man has a strong name, Maximus Isaiah Williams. I just don't think he's going to be some deferential character, right? Some reticent, shy. He's going to probably be a bold, stand-up kind of brother. Names are interesting. And, of course, in the times of the Bible, names had a little bit more significance than they do now. And our text begins with this. It says, but, but Thomas, and it says it's also known as Didymus. And so, um, now, how many of you know, know some twins? All of us. If you go to Grace Chapel, you know some twins. When I came here years ago, I was, I was blessed to meet Marva and Marie Bramwell. And uh, they, were, they are our resident twins through the years. They've, 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 they've hung in there. They're, they're a blessing to us all. But there's some things about twi- twins I noticed growing up. First of all, when I was growing up, like in my, in my neck of the woods, it seemed like twins, particularly the boys, always tend to have names that either rhyme or have some kind of alliteration. alliteration. So, you know, it's always like either Ricky and, 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 and Ronnie or Ricky and Dicky or Ronnie and Donnie and on and on and on. You know, and I actually remember sets of twins that way, right? But one of the things that happens is that sometimes, particularly when you have identical twins, we really don't want to tell nobody, but you really don't know who is who. It took me about two years before I figured those two out. And every now and then I'll make a mistake only because I'll look at one out the corner of my eye and there's enough resemblance, but if I look at them straight on, I know, I know them very clearly. Marvin Marie, right? But I noticed this with my mom growing up. I watched her. There, was this, there were these twins at our church, grown folks, right? And... Uh, and uh, some of you, um, real, you know Gwen and Gwinnett. Now, why would you name them Gwen and Gwinnett? That's too close. <laughs> and my mother, God bless her, for all of her life, it seemed like she, she never could kind of get that together. So she just always called them the twins, and she would refer to either one of them as the twin. And I've heard some, some folks do that with Marvin. You, you know the twin, and you want to say, which one? It's kind of rough being a twin sometimes, right? <laughs> but, but Thomas... I don't, I don't think he was a twin, but he has a name that means twin. And so the text says Thomas is known as Didymus. And so, so you know, the Aramaic, Thomas is the uh, Aramaic for, for twin, and Didymus is the Greek for twin, and that's his name. And so he's known as that. So everywhere he goes, they say Thomas, also known as Didymus, and you'll see that in other places in John. He's got that just like, you know, Marva or Marie, the twin, right? Now, again, I don't know if there's a twin brother, if he really was a twin, or if that's just some name that someone, you know, that they gave him, but, but he's got this name. And, and what happens is people tend to be known by certain names. And so when we look at Thomas, one of the things about him is that there's something else that comes out from our text this morning that, that, that shows us that, the, you know, people give us nicknames based upon their perception of us, right? Right? And so, you know, in the Bible, we've got uh, John the Baptist, right? Because he baptized people, not because he was a member of the Baptist church down the street, but he, John the Baptist, we got uh, Peter was known as the rock, not because he's a wrestler, right? Uh, John was the disciple Jesus loved. You know, there are all these, all these, 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 these names in scripture that are appended with something descriptive of the person, Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. Most of these are pretty, pretty positive and pretty affirming, right? James and John are called what? The sons of thunder. Now that's cool. I remember some of my friends tried to put a singing group together called the Sons of Thunder, and it, and, uh, it was kind of a blunder. Uh, but it, but it, then on, on the other side, you know, there's the, the, the woman caught in adultery, you know. That's not such a flattering thing. And, but, of course, the one I think that we all identify with is the one before us, Thomas, whose real name means twin, but in your and my eyes and in our culture and in the world around us, if I say something about Thomas or I talk about faith, doubt, or unbelief, if I say Thomas, you would say, that's a drag. That brother has carried that moniker all of, throughout all of history because of this, these few verses and his interaction. He has carried that name. He has carried that title as Doubting Thomas. Today, I want to I, I tell you, so I want to confess something to you, that, 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 that I, I intend to, to speak up in Thomas's defense to, to a degree today. Is that all right? 
Because I don't think that Thomas is quite the scoundrel that you and I make him out to be. I don't think that, 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 uh, that he is the bad guy that sometimes we try, to, we try to make him. I don't think that he's the loser that sometimes we might suppose he is. I, I think that people cite his name without having read his story. A lot of people know something about it, but they haven't read it carefully to understand what really happened with Thomas. And so this morning, I want to I talk about him because here's the deal. What we see in, in our text today is that, first of all, he was absent from the last sighting, right? Someone described Thomas as the man who missed the meeting. Last week when we spoke of, out of verses 19 through 23, Thomas is not there. And, and this text begins with says, now, now Thomas, also known as Didymus, Didymus, one of the 12, was not present. He wasn't there when, when Jesus appeared to the other disciples. And so he's playing a bit of catch up, right? He's, he's, he's got to get up to speed on what's going on. He, he wasn't there. Now, one of the things we could suspect is that Thomas was as deeply affected by the death of Jesus as all of his contemporaries. That Thomas during this time has gone through the same grief, but notice that he's gone through it alone to this point. He's gone through the same uncertainty about the future, but he's gone through it off somewhere by himself. We don't know where he went, who he was with, what he was doing, but we know that on that first, the evening of that first day of the week, Thomas was not there with the other disciples when Jesus came and stood among them. He was somewhere else. It, it reminds us, doesn't it, that sometimes we find ourselves cut off and separated from uh, the rest of God's people in times of stress and strain, in times of question and trial and tribulation. You know what I'm talking about? It's, in other words, Thomas had missed church that night. When I was coming up in church, see, we, we used to do this crazy thing when I was coming. We used to go to church every week. I don't know what was wrong with us. We would just show up all the time. And then we would go every Sunday night. And one of the things, like, when I, you know, and I, when you grow up, like, in a Pentecostal church, stuff be happening. Stuff jumps off. And when you grow up in a church with a bunch of interesting people, stuff happens, right? And so I remember, I, I learned this as a teenager, that sometimes, there were a couple times, I remember one time I had the flu, and I miss service because I was always, I wanted to be there all the time because I'm the kind of person, I don't want to miss out on nothing, right? I'm the kind of person that if something, and I, as, as a musician, I just always want to be there and do my thing and I want to be a part of it, I want to serve. And, and I remember I missed this one Sunday and I came, that, I came that night and that Sunday there had been such a, a change. That Sunday they had brought in a whole new minister of music and everything had changed. And I'm like, wow, didn't affect me too much, but it's like, I, I shouldn't miss too much because things can turn around here pretty fast. But you know how it was. You maybe, maybe you missed the Sunday night service, and that's the, the night that somebody got healed or had a testimony or the church, you know, went off and, and, and shouting for about, you know, 45 minutes, and they say, oh, we had church. You missed it. You know what I'm talking about? None of you all can identify with that, right? The Sunday morning when the pastor really got down was the one where you show, where, that you didn't show up, and so you don't think the brother can really preach because you've never been there when he does because every time he does, you miss you know, the, the, the time when that sister really sang or the, when, when the, this happened and that happened or the special guest. You know what I'm talking about. And, and Thomas, on Sunday night, the first day of the week, on the day of the resurrection, on Easter Sunday, the brothers are gathered in the house. Thomas has missed the service. He, he, he misses the opportunity. And so he's, he's in pain and, 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 and dealing with doubt and, and dealing with uh, uncertainty regarding the future because things have not turned out for them. And we see this tension, don't we, that enters into our discussion because what happens is this, that even though from our perspective, Jesus is alive, he rose from the grave, and we see the, the appearances up to this point, everybody is still kind of struggling to, to deal with it. So that's why when you look at your brother and your sister, and they don't have the kind of visual evidence that, you ha that they had. They don't have the kind of up-close-and-personal experience. We got to give each other a little bit of slack, don't we? Because it, sometimes it takes a moment for us to, to, to zero in on what's going on and get an understanding of what's happening. But, you know, the thing about it is I, that, that he, he's in pain. And there are, we talk about this thing called doubt, and that's what we want to talk about this morning. There are certain things that can give rise to doubt in our hearts, right? Sometimes there are experiences that we have and things that we go through that that, that foster doubt in our lives. Sometimes when we go through things that are difficult to understand, right? Sometimes 
things that we thought should happen never do. And then on the other hand, things that we thought would or should never happen have happened to us. Can I get a witness? Uh, when we are in pain and when we are in, in heartache, it tends to give rise in our hearts to doubt. And Thomas, if there is doubt in his heart, if there is doubt in his mind, in his thinking, he has come by it honestly because he has experienced a severe loss as in a time of great upheaval in a moment where the one that he loves so dearly has departed and he has not yet gotten clear evidence that that Lord and Savior has risen from the dead. And so for whatever reason, he's not there when Jesus showed up and now he comes on the scene. And we ask a few things about Thomas, about his temperament. Is he predisposed to despondency? And if you read some of the, the various opinions of, 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 of commentators and preachers and others through the centuries, one of the things you see, there are a lot of different opinions on, on Thomas. And some commentators are, are harder on him than others. Some say, you know, Thomas was really uh, just filled with, with, with doubt, and he was just really, you know, the, the loser, and, and Jesus had to come and get him straight and get in his face kind of thing, you know. And what we do see is that there, there, there does seem to, seem to be something of a, an, a tendency towards despondency or a little bit of pessimism in his temperament. Now, one of the things uh, was so liberating in life when I learned this, I know some of you have been in Christian settings where it seems as though it is supposed that everybody is supposed to be of the same temperament. So everybody is going to jump just at the same height when, we, when we're praising the Lord. Everybody's going to shout just as loud. Everybody feels the same thing you feel at the moment you feel it. Everybody is just like you because we all been filled with the Spirit. I was able to appreciate the rich tapestry of the people of God when I began to appreciate the fact that we have all these different temperaments. All these different personalities. And when you get saved, guess what? Your temperament doesn't change. Now, the parts, of, the, parts the rough edges on you, God will work on. And your, the parts of your personality that, that, that are affected by sin. You know what I mean? If you have, like, a, a bad attitude, God's going to tweak that. But you know what? Some of us are a little more, some of us are a little bit more pessimistic. And some of us are a little more optimistic by nature. Some of us are a little more, a little more analytical. Some of us are a, little, are, are a bit more emotional. Some of us are vocal and verbal like Max. Some of us are, are quiet and, and reticent. Some of us, you know, we have all these different, and the thing about it is, aren't you glad that God kind of meets you where you are as who you are and doesn't require that you become like somebody else? And so we give people space, but Thomas seems to be kind of a little bit on the melancholy side. He seems to be a little bit um, analytical in this thing, which is, and I have to say this going forward, we, we have to establish this as well, that it is not, it is not anti-Christian or opposed to our faith to be analytical and to be intellectual. God gave us the mind we have. God gave us the ability to think and to judge and to reason, and God works through reason to reveal truth to us. But Thomas seems to be a little bit uh, analytical, but we, but we get a picture of him in a couple places. In, in John eleven sixteen. 16, um, there when Jesus is, is going to, to raise Lazarus from the dead, if you remember the story, um, Jesus is kind of, laid back, and Lazarus has bit the dust, so to speak, right? And, uh, and then, you know, they're going to go to, he's not, we're going to go, you know, back to, uh, we're going to go to Bethany. We're going to, you know, see, see him. And, uh, and uh, but one of the disciples says, well, why are you going to go back there when you almost got stoned the last time? And uh, so then Thomas speaks up, and he has a, a very insightful statement. He says, well, let us go with him so that we may die also. You know people like that, right? Pastor, let's, let's get together with the church and let's, 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 let's build a wing on the church. And you get the, you get the one person say, well, you know what? I'm, with, I'm behind you. And so when we go broke and don't have no money, I'll, we just all go down the tubes together. You know, you know that kind of person, right? It's like, you know, so he says, you know, let's go. We, we'll go die. We, let's go. We'll die with him. You know, he's like, you know, and some of you would say, why, why would you talk like Because that's, that's kind of that's who he is. He's thinking on the, you know, but don't you know that sometimes in, in life we kind of need both? Because those are the people that say, watch out for the danger where some of us who are so faith-filled and so positive, we're running so far, fast ahead. So some wave it. We're going to all die. So you, got, you balance that out. And then in John 14, around verse 5, 
Jesus has his disciples together, and he gives this wonderful, wonderful sermon. He says, you know, uh, he says, let not your heart be tr- hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. He says, I go to prepare a place for you that where you go, where I go, you may be also, blah, 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 blah. Words of encouragement to the disciples in in anticipation of his impending death, right? I'm going to leave you, but I've got a place. I'm going to go first and and show you the way. And wouldn't you know it, Thomas has something to say in this moment. And Thomas says, well, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how are we going to know the way? It's like, kind of a side to put. You just jumped out the spirit. I could just imagine you just jumped out the spirit of what I, I was giving. I'm giving this thing and it's so beautiful and you, you're getting all pragmatic. It's like I looked it up in my GPS. I can't find it. He's just that kind of guy. He's just kind of gets kind of, he cuts straight to things. He's kind of, you know, kind of cut and dry in his thinking. Now, now the first, this 20th chapter kind of is all about appearances, not in the way that, you know, that normally what that normally means, but you know, it's, it's about the, it's about Jesus appearing. And so what I want to do is try to make this connection because there's a connection between Jesus appearing, between him being seen, between issues of faith and belief and what that means for people like you and me going forward. And so, you know, early in the, in the chapter after, uh, you know, Mary has gone early in the morning to find the empty tomb and, and, uh, and she, and, and then, you know, uh, Peter and John, who's, kind of couches himself under the guise of being uh, the other disciple. He's speaking at writing of himself. They go, and, and they see the empty tomb. And, and John says, this disciple saw, meaning of himself, really, I saw and believed. And so you see the connection between seeing and believing. Stay with me on this. Uh, and, then, and then, you know, uh, Mary finally has this personal encounter with Jesus. And then she comes back and tells, she says, I saw the Lord. This word, this, 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 this motif several times. And then later on, of course, in the, in the upper room, in, in the house where they were with the doors locked, they, they see Jesus. He, he comes and stands among them. And then now a week later, they use the term in the Greek, eight days, which in the Hebrew, is a Hebrewism. It includes, when they count days, they include both ends on the day. So it's Sunday to Sunday. Next Sunday, they're, they're back in the room again. You know, but bef- before that, they say to Thomas, prior to that, they say, listen, Thomas, uh, we realized you weren't in the service on Sunday night. We realized you missed the meeting, and so we wanted to let you know, we saw the Lord. It's about appearances. Jesus is showing himself to people, but Thomas has missed out on the appearance so far. Thomas is not buying it. They say, we've seen the Lord. Now, you would think that would be enough for him, right? Because these are my bros. These are my, these are my partners. These, th- this, is, this is my crew. I've been, he, they've been li- walking together and ministering together and, and living together and, and following Jesus together and, and, and suffering together and, 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 and going through all the things they've gone through in, in this thing that, of discipleship that Jesus has called them. You would think that because they saw, saw, saw Jesus that, that, they, that, that he, Thomas would say, cool, he must be alive. And then they would all start shouting together or something. I don't know. You would think it would have been enough. But Thomas isn't buying it. He says, unless I see the nail marks in his hand, unless I see the place where, 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 the, where the nails, you know, unless I see the nail marks, unless I put my finger. See, he gets all graphic. I want to put my finger where the nails were. I, I, I don't want to just see it, but I want to actually touch it to make sure I need to palpate that surface to make sure that that's really a, a, a hole left by a spike. And I, unless I put my hand into his side, dude is a rugged evidentialist. He wants, I mean, he's like, I'm, can you check my arm? Yeah. What are you doing? I'm going to drain it out and measure it and put it back in. You know, it's like, can you just, can you just see, see Jesus, Thomas? Can you just look at him? Says, no, no I, I, got to, I, got to, I got to touch him. I got, to, I got to inspect him. I've got to know. And he says, I will not, unless I see, unless I experience Jesus in the way that I have decided that I need to experience Jesus. I will not. Greek construction ume is a is, is a, a, a an adversative, a negative particle that 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 is a, is a strong adversative. Like no way, no how, never ever. 
and it's a kind of a double negative, whatsoever, there's just no way I'm going to believe until I get it my way. Some of you are like that as well. You have set up a criteria in your life. You have a grid system, and you want everything to fit in that grid. J.I. Packer calls uh, Thomas guilty of, of what he describes as willful skepticism. Unless, 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 until, until, until these are my conditions. On the other hand, in defense of Thomas, all the other brothers and sisters have seen him. All the others witnessed him with their eyes. They did not have to go rely upon secondhand eyewitness testimony of somebody else. Thomas is really only demanding the same thing that everybody else has experienced. So before we get too hard on him, cut a brother some slack. Because he's not asking for anything more than what the others have seen, but now for him it kind of morphs into this other dynamic of, I got to also put my finger in the nail holes and put my hand in the side. He refuses to rely upon the testimony of others. It is as though he doubts their credibility. You might think that since they're such close friends that he would have just said, okay, guys, I'm with you. And so we call him Doubting Thomas. Now, I want to take a few moments, and I want want to make a distinction between doubt and unbelief. And what I want to suggest to you today is this, that doubting, is normal. Now stay with me because some of you have been conditioned by people who it fit their theological agenda to connect doubting and unbelief together. Doubt and unbelief become synonymous. I suggest to you, based upon my understanding of Scripture, that we're looking at two different things. And let's get out of the religious garb that says, I've got to, I've got to, to, to be dishonest about what I think and what I, where I struggle Because the Bible never condemns doubt as such. Now, stay with me. Don't close your mind to me because because I will explain what I'm talking about. I think you'll you'll understand a little bit more clearly in a few moments. Think about some of the folks in the Bible. Go back to the Old Testament. Think about some of the figures there. Think about Job. Think about Jeremiah. Even look at Jesus in the New Testament. There are moments when Jesus, in a sense, you can see that he is kind of dealing with with, with a momentary struggle between competing issues and, and concerns because of the fact that he comes to us as fully God and fully man. In the Garden of Gethsemane, you know, some of you say, now if Jesus was walking in faith like a Bible man, he would have just said, Lord, I'm going to take that cup and turn it aside and pour it over. And he said, Lord, he said, Father, he said, if, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. A little bit of doubt. There's like, is this, is, God, is this you? Is this what you want for me? I, I, in this moment, in my humanity, I, I have some misgivings and some concerns, and I'm under stress about this. I know none of you ever deal with that kind of thing, but Jesus finds himself in this place. Oh, you, you look in the Bible, you see that Abraham doubted that, that Sarah could conceive a child. We, we see that Moses doubted his ability to lead God's people. We see that, that people like Habakkuk and Job who doubted God's justice, they challenged it, they spoke out about it, they they. they, they broadcast the fact that that they said, God, we have concerns, and sometimes we struggle with the issue as to whether you are as just as we thought you were, and on and on and on. I believe that those who have doubts are in good company with regard to being among the people of God. Thomas is not sinning because he is doubting. I, want, I, want, I, I believe that with all my heart. I don't believe that this represents a failure of Thomas. I don't believe that Thomas is in some sort of sinful, godless condition. Notice that Jesus, and, and I'll make it plain as we go f- forward, Jesus doesn't rebuke Thomas. He will instruct him, and he'll give some words that will be instructive, particularly for those of us going forward. The words that Jesus is going to speak to him after what happens are more important for us than they are for Thomas. Because Thomas has already come through the crisis of faith and comes to the place where he does believe it by the time we're done with the text. But Jesus doesn't condemn him. Instead, what he does is he challenges, basically he challenges Thomas to, okay, put me to the test. And again, based upon some of our frameworks, it would have been Jesus, you know, we would have rewrote the text. 
the disciples were, to, were, were, were together, were, were back in the house, and Jesus and, and, and Thomas was with them. And Jesus, though the door was locked, Jesus stood among them and said, Thomas, you big sinner, how dare you doubt me? How dare you question your brothers? Where do you, where do you get off talking about putting your hands in my, I don't need to show you, I don't, Thomas, I don't have to, I'm Jesus, I don't have to prove nothing to you. You need to go somewhere and get yourself right with God. That's not what he does. And see, we can read those words and we can attribute various effective states to that. We could be that, you know, he says, you know, he says, put, put, your, finger, put your finger here. See my hand. Put, put your hand, stretch out your hand and put it into my side. But I believe that Jesus says what he says to Thomas with great feeling and emotion, not because he's trying to condemn Thomas, but because to an extent he enters into Thomas's struggle and Thomas's story. Notice what happens. Obviously, no one has told Jesus, to, you, you, you know what Thomas said? Thomas said he's going to have to touch. He, no, Jesus appears among them and he says, right, straight away, he says, peace be unto you, peace be with you. He says, put your this is what you need. Here it is. He says, he says, he says, you, you see my hands? Look, look, here they are. And I don't think Jesus is chiding him. I don't think he's blasting him. I think he's saying, if you need this, here it is, because it's real. He says, stretch out your hand and put it into my side. I don't think he's rebuking, rebuking Thomas. I think that he's he understands and he wants Thomas to understand that doubt is this kind of questioning and this kind of expression of uncertainty. And doubt is common to us all. Uh, you can play Christian for the rest of your life. I came to a point where I said, I'm going to be truthful in my understanding of the word of God and in my living out my faith and be real about it and admit that I like you, am a, a pilgrim in this life, and I struggle, and you struggle with doubt from time to time. It is a normal thing, and people need to be set free and liberated from guilt and shame over that, as though you, th- because we are led to think that everybody sitting in the, in the church pews, everybody has perfect, unwavering, I hate that phrase, it's, it has this meaning in the Bible, but then people take it out, and it becomes, you know, that it, you know the, the, the ruse that, you know, I've been standing and walking in faith for 40 years and I've never wavered out. Sure, you haven't. <laughs> it isn't even necessary for you to be that. You just need to, to be in a trusting relationship, covenantal relationship with your Lord and Savior. You need to tr- put your faith in Jesus and trust God as your, as your Savior. But, but you don't, God is, doesn't expect us in the course of our journeys to be to, to never have doubts and issues and concerns. Doubt is, is, represents the kind of, of, of mental humility. One of the reasons we doubt is because we realize, I don't know it all, and I don't know if I know this. I don't know if I get this yet. Oh, you, you don't hear me this morning. Uh, all of the, for, no matter how many answers you have, you, you probably still will generate additional questions. And as you grow further and deeper into the things of God, as you learn more about God, it doesn't mean that all of your doubts will become settled. It means that old ones will be resolved and new ones might emerge. I don't want to rattle your cage and and rock your world, but I'm telling you that's the way it really is. And so this expression of doubt, such as Thomas's and many of the other biblical, biblical expressions of doubt, they are basically this. They are the honest admission that with regard to our thinking process, that things don't always seem to fit together. Things don't always make sense. Oswald Chambers wrote this. He said, doubt is not always a sign that a man is wrong. It is a sign that he is thinking. And one of the reasons some people seem to have no doubts is because they have few thoughts. And one of the reasons why some of us struggle with doubt is because we've chosen to use the mind that God has given us. And we realize that there's a place to to bring every thought 
under submission to the obedience of Christ, yes. But we understand that God comes to us through the, the means of the human intellect. He comes to us through words. He comes to us through language. He comes to us through the root of our mind, and we have to process and, and filter and apply and, and interpret and understand what comes to us. He doesn't, he doesn't speak to your spirit. There is, there is the work of the spirit to our spirit, but most of the content with regard to the uh, biblical revelation and the revelation of Christ, it comes to our, our reasoning faculties. Real doubt comes from really a kind of reverence for the truth. And uh, it doesn't forbid questions. Now, I would suggest that doubt, doubts in the sense of, of the need for further clarification and, or evidence or the answering of a question or the resolution of a discrepancy in our minds and our thinking, that's, that's a natural thing. And it can, those, that can exist in the company of faith and belief. Someone put it like this. Honest doubt is better than dishonest belief. Famed psychologist Rollo May once wrote this. He said, the relationship between commitment and doubt is by no means an antagonistic one. Commitment is healthiest when it is not without doubt, but in spite of doubt. In other words, as one writer put it, doubt isn't a problem that needs to be overcome. It's an invitation that needs to be explored. Now, that's doubt. Unbelief, though, is something different. It's something that sometimes is so close. And you know what? one thing about Thomas is that Thomas is teetering on the edge, right? He is. I'll give you that. It's as though Thomas is in this place, and he's like... The, the evidentiary nature of his, of, his, of his person, the way he thinks, his, his thought processes, his right to have the same verification that the others have, you know, have experienced, all those things. He's in this place, and that's, a, that's not a bad place to be in. But as he begins to make resolutions and, and extend conditions, he, he kind of begins to veer over into unbelief because unbelief is different from doubt. See, my, my, a doubt is when I, when I wonder if, if this, that, that things are the way they were told me, right? I wonder if, if, if God, I honestly sometimes use, I mean, we, many of us believe in healing, but I'll tell you as a, as a pastor who prays for the sick, I believe that God heals. I've seen people who've been healed by God. I've seen people who've been healed by, by prayer, communal prayer, laying on of hands. And that but there are times when I pray for somebody, it doesn't mean that in my rational mind and in my heart, I, I don't struggle with doubt. Not that I don't believe, you know, Jesus, or if you're willing, you can make me clean. I know he can. I know he may be willing. I just, there's a part of me in my humanity that, and there's a thousand questions that may, that may be involved in that. That's, and, doubt, and, that's, and that's not because I'm like, you know, God just ain't about nothing. That's because I'm like, I love God. I love Jesus. I want to see this happen. I just wonder. Because in my world, I realize God doesn't heal everybody that gets laid hands on. And I, and I struggle in that tension because everybody's prayer doesn't get answered. And, and I, we live in, in the now and the not yet of God's kingdom. And so, but unbelief is something different. See, he gets into unbelief when he gets to this, 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 this me'un thing, this, uh, this uh, ume thing. He says, I, I will not believe. Oh, but I think ultimately that Thomas is well intended in that. But, but unbelief is this deliberate Denial, disobedience, rebellion, resistance, that's always condemned in the Bible. You see, it goes like this. Some of you, because you can say, well, you know, there's some of you that have gotten beyond your doubt, and in your heart and in your mind, you've come to a place of assent to where, okay, I believe Jesus is real. I believe that Jesus rose from the dead, but you're still in unbelief. Why? Because you won't lift a finger to do anything about it. Because you, you, you won't allow the, the, the reality of the resurrection, the reality of the gospel to, to, to transform your life. You're, gonna, you're not going to commit to it. I, 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 I'm done with the doubt. I, yeah, I, oh yeah, Jesus is real. Jesus is alive. I serve a risen Savior who's in the world today. I know that you're living, blah, blah, blah. But that don't mean unto me. That's unbelief. See, we talk about doubt, and here's the thing. There are, there are millions of people who are standing on the outside of our churches, so to speak, or, or trying to find their way in, and they're, they're riddled with doubts about, about, 
about the faith, doubts about scripture, doubts about God, doubts about life, because they're, they, because they're thinking and they're, they're dealing with the forces of the society and the current of thoughts around them. But they're sincere and honest seekers for truth. They're folks that are sitting up in churches that, that have resolved the doubts, but they're walking in unbelief because they won't do anything to, to, to step out in faith on what they know and what they've heard and what they assume to be true. Oh, you didn't, you, that don't make no sense to you, do it. You get what I'm saying? Unbelief. Doubt is, is a sincere question. Unbelief is when I am unwilling to hear the answer. Thomas wants to know. He wants the answer. And so when he's presented with the answer, he responds. So listen, listen. M- many of you, there are things in your mind, there are things about God you don't understand. There are things about the Bible that you haven't been able to, to, to connect with and reconcile. There, there are things about Christian teaching and doctrine that, that you struggle with. There, there are things that, that, that you, there are doubts and questions that you have. And you, sometimes you are made to feel as though you are sub, not only sub-Christian, but subhuman. Uh, there, there are, you have your struggles, you have your, 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 your issues. There, there are these things that, that you, you, you deal with. And I want to remind us of this in the book of Jude in verse 22. And Jude is, Jude is, a, is, a, is, a, is a serious book because he's basically writing to tell, to tell the Christians, watch out for these false teachers that are just like, they're not only giving you, is, is, I'm hot in here. Is they're not only giving you bad doctrine, but they're giving you bad life. They're living like heathens. They're leading you into debauchery. And they are, they are you know, and, 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 he, and so he, he goes through this whole thing. And, to, and, and basically slams them, he sli- slices and dices them. They're the, you know, worst, and rightfully so. And he just, and he goes back to the Old Testament. He said, you know, beware, don't be like them. They're horrible, horrible. But you know what he says in verse 22, right before verse 24, where he says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without falling with great joy. He says this in verse 22. He says, be merciful to those who doubt. Some of us, our faith is weak. We are not to be assailed. We are not to be assaulted. We are not to be insulted. We are to experience the mercy and the love and compassion and the support and the encouragement of the people around us. He says, be merciful. And I want to make a declaration here. I want to tell you, and I know most of you that are here today probably, I know, but if you're not here, if you hear this, if you hear this by way of CD, if you hear this on the podcast, I want to tell you something about this church. Doubters are welcome here. Doubters are welcome here. Uh, because I think of what God said in Isaiah 1.18. He said, come, let us reason together. Come on and sit down and let's talk about it. Let's break out the truth. Let's, let's, let's hear your, your, your concerns and let's see if we can resolve those. Do, in Luke in Acts 1.3, when we go forward after the resurrection, and he begins that, that book, he says that, that Jesus offered to them, he uses the term, he says, many convincing Proofs that, 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 he, that, that he had been raised from the dead. He didn't have to do that, but he understood that people have doubts and need verification and substantiation, and so he provided it. Doubters are welcome here. If, you are, if you've got some doubt in your mind, if you've got some issues, some concerns, some questions, you are in good company. This is where you're supposed to be. Thomas, I'll tell you, Thomas is my hero. Thomas is my hero because there are two things about Thomas that, 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 I, that I respect, that I, that I value. Number one, Thomas refuses to say that he understands something that he doesn't understand. Oh, yeah, I got it. No, you ain't got it. Thomas refuses to, to, to say that he believes something that he hasn't yet come to believe. And this gets complicated, and, and i got to be careful of going off on rabbit trails because there are entire sermons that, that are off to the left here and off to the right and over there. Because the thing is, God understands this, and I hope you do too, that on one level you choose to, to act on beliefs and to place your trust in Christ. On the other hand, you, you, believe, you, you don't make yourself by strength of will, believe something. People who do that are called delusional. And a still hush descended over the room. No, 
So that, that, that's to thee. You can t- email me, text me about that. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And the work of the Spirit takes that, that truth of revelation in it, and it brings us, it engenders, it, it, it brings us to faith. Coming to faith is a process, and God works with us as we engage with him, and as we're exposed to the truth, belief is formed, and it doesn't happen always instantaneously, and it doesn't happen at will, but there are times, if you don't believe something, you don't believe it. And Thomas does not want to say, yeah, I got it, I'm with y'all. I'm, I'm, I'm. He said, no, I, I'm having trouble with this. I appreciate his honesty. And the other thing I like about Thomas is this. Thomas, once he gets it, once he gets the evidence he's looking for, he is all in. Because what happens in the text is this. Jesus knows what Thomas has said, and Jesus comes into the room there when Thomas is gathered, and Jesus in compassion and love concedes to Thomas's requirements, and, 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 and he does it with compassion and humility. And, and Thomas ends up not being quite the skeptic that you thought he was because what happens is he comes in and Jesus says, okay, Thomas, if this is what you need, you got it. Here, put your, put your finger there. Uh, see, see my hands there, the holes. Go on and put your hand in there. And there's no mention in the text that Thomas ever does that. There's no mention, okay, Thomas, okay, here I go. There's no mention that he does that. Jesus appears, he says, here it is if you want it. And Thomas says, my Lord and my God. Oh, my goodness, I see it. I understand. I get it now. I wanted this other evidence. I needed all But I, in this moment, faith is formed in my heart. He said, I see it. And so I, he jumps in. My Lord, I'm in. Because when he says, my Lord and my God, he, that's not just church talk. Oh, I, oh Lord, in me. No, he's saying, my Lord, my Messiah, my, 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 my anointed one, my deliverer. And then when he says, my God, that, this is like deep stuff here. This is incredible because here's an individual, a human being is saying to Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, he's saying, you are God. You are, oh, when you said that over there, I didn't understand when you, when you said before, before Abraham was, I am, oh my goodness, I see that you are God. You, you are the Christ. I see what Peter was talking about. When, he, when you asked him, who do men say that? Peter, Peter got it. He said, you're the, the, you're, you're the Christ, the son of the living. You are. He said, my Lord and my God. It's like he joined the church that minute. He gave his heart to Christ, joined the church, got baptized, got baptized in the Holy Ghost, delivered everything in like 20 seconds. My Lord, my God, I'm in. No doubt, no more. No challenge. Once you, once you answer the question, I'm on board. I'm with you. Some of us aren't. See, unbelief would say, okay, Jesus, I see what you're saying. Let me think about it for a while. Okay, Jesus, that's nice. Now, you know, I'm, let me just deal with, I got some stuff to deal with. And I'll get back to you on that. Okay, Jesus, that, that, those some, I see the holes there. You could get some stitches there. You know, they, they, they can help you with that. Once they've answered your question, once they've, they've, you've heard the word, once you, in your heart, you know, it, you know what's being said is true. You know it's right. It clicks in your spirit. It clicks in your mind. But you're still like, ah, but, you know, I don't know if I'm ready. I got to go and think about it some more. Let me go first and, and do this and do that. And, but Thomas is like, no, my Lord and my God, that's it. It's done. I like that about him. I, w- I want to be more like that, that when the Spirit of God convinces me of truth, when, I, when I'm convicted of something, I don't sit around and ponder it and, and reflect upon it more. I just got to, this requires some more theological introspection and reflection. But that like when Jesus says, boom, I'm there. Yes, Lord, my Lord and my God. Messiah, Son of God. Leon Morris writes, he says, nobody has previously addressed Jesus like this in the Gospels as God. It marks a leap of faith in the moment that he came to see that Jesus was indeed risen from the dead. Thomas came to something of what that implied. Mere men do not rise from the dead in this fashion. The one who was now so obviously alive, although he has died, could be addressed in the language of adoring worship. My Lord and my God. You see, 
Jesus has said it in the Beatitudes. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. They will be filled. Blessed are those, like by extension we say, blessed are those who have deep questions and deep longings for the truth and want to know for real that, about who God is and what Jesus has done for them. Blessed are those who bring their questions to God and to the people of God and, and bring them out in the open because if you do that, you will find an answer. Jesus will show up in your midst. He will, uh, he will stand before you in the midst of you. He knows your, your struggle and your issue before you ever articulate it. He knows what you been thinking he knows what you said behind closed doors when you said we well, you know i would join the church but i don't know if them people is real i don't know if god is real i don't know about all that resurrection stuff jesus heard what you said and he's not mad at you but if you let him he'll show up in your face and he'll and he'll give you the evidence you're looking for and so at the end of their at the end of their search and now thomas is the last one on board there they're at the end of the search all the disciples have become personally convinced of the of the reality of the resurrection and i'm gonna tell you something man it's incredible what the resurrection can do once you come to grips with the truth of, of, of the resurrection it's amazing of the difference it'll make in your life somebody put it like this the the, it, the message of the resurrection by this point has, has made a, a mourner into a missionary it's made a, a penitent into a preacher it's made a a, a, a bereaved friend and, uh, into a into an apostle of love it's made a, a timid and, and and reticent uh shrinking coterie of disciples into the the fearless heralds of a new movement and in this case of thomas it's made a a, a doubter into a confessor that's what the resurrected power of christ will do that's what the truth of god was would do it's like this in that moment thomas thomas gets in and if, if, if thomas were in, in a setting like this thomas went from doubting to shouting come on come on thomas went from i got all these concerns all these conflicting ideas all these all these intellectual issues i've got all these 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 logical discrepancies i'm trying to solve i need to see for myself and in that moment it's like i got it glory hallelujah i'm on board my lord and my god and then in verse 30 20, uh, 29 jesus says he says, Thomas, because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now listen. See, that's the rebuke, supposedly. But as we, get, as we work through this, the, t- Jesus is not really rebuking Thomas. If it is, it's a gentle, you know, and I, like, I, I love that about Jesus. Because, you know, I'd rather Jesus rebuke me than some of y'all. Amen. Amen. Not y'all, but some of the other people out there. Because, you know, he said, I'm meek and lowly in spirit. We come to him, and it's a gentle rebuke. Someone referred to it as a kind of gracious devastation, because Thomas in that moment is kind of blown away, but not in a way that would destroy him or hurt him. Because he's passed over. He's come into the realization. But what happens is this. From this verse forward, we're setting up for something. John is, from a literary perspective, setting us up to understand something. And it's this. First of all, Jesus is not merely rebuking Thomas. He says, you know, you've seen, you've believed because you've seen me. Blessed are they who believe when they have not seen. But here's the thing, because you got to add this addendum to that, because what's going to happen is after you guys, in a little while, that's all they're going, that's all folks going forward are going to have at their disposal. They won't be able to see me like you did. So you saw me and believed, and that's a good thing. And I think Jesus understood his need for, for, for some sort of validation. Oh, but, but Jesus says, blessed, makarios in the Greek, meaning the, the simple translation is happy, but the more comprehensive is happiness, not like, hey, I'm happy, like, you know, the song, but it's more like, like, like to, favored by God to be, uh, to be, uh, to be uh, what's the word? Admired, you're you're in a a, a, a precious and a, and a and a special place in life when these things happen. That's what that blessedness is. It's it's, it's about being in 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 the, in the receipt of God's favor. And and so he's saying, you know, blessed are those who going forward won't have the evidence that you had, but by faith and by the work of the Spirit and by the the revelation of, of the Word of God, they they will see and they will believe. You saw, you believe because you saw. He doesn't say, and that makes you a bad man. 
He doesn't say, you believe because you saw me, and so your faith ain't all about nothing. He says, you believe me because you saw me, and because you believe, you, will rec- you receive the benefit and the blessing of that belief. But blessed and happy going forward are those who believe without having seen me. Now, what's going to happen here is John is setting us up to understand this. And, the, this. and from this point in the disciples' experience, God is setting us up to realize that people are going to be handed off to a new experience. In this arena, in the scripture, Jesus has risen bodily from the grave. He's walking among them in his resurrected state. They see him. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 goes into great length about the, 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 multi, the, the, the numbers that see him, 501 places. He, he goes around and makes himself known. And then we see in the first chapter of Acts, he ascends back to the Father. And they, they see him. And, they, you know, and there's a coming a time, the Bible says, once again, when every eye will behold him. Right? But he says, listen, you, 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 uh, going forward, the blessing will be those who don't see the physical risen Christ, but those who believe, like Romans 10 says, because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word. So he goes on in verse 30, he says, Jesus performed you know, many more signs. Now, John's gospel, really, the, the, the content of it is seven signs, seven particular miracle, miraculous things that take place that demonstrate Jesus as the Son of God. And, G, and so John is getting to the end. He says, now, I'm wrapping this up. I want you to, I want you to put all this together. He says, I, I'll give you these seven signs. He says, he, Jesus performed many signs in the presence of his disciples that are not recorded in this book. In other words, John said, my gospel is not the comprehensive, exhaustive, unabridged biography of Jesus. 1,873 pages. It's this big. He said, that's not what I wrote. We were talking about this on Wednesday night. I said, people understand the Gospels are not meant to be comprehensive biographies in the Western and modern sense of the term. They are more considered to be tracts, T-R-A-C-T-S. They are written from a literary perspective of, of and each author draws upon the various, various events in Jesus' life for their particular purpose, for the audience they're writing, and in, 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 in revealing who Jesus is and telling his story. And so John is saying this. Are you with me? He's saying, understand this. Jesus did a lot of stuff that I didn't write down, but these are written. Why? that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Look what's going on here. He's bringing us all the way back around. Now, I know some of you say, well, why? You know, uh, this this guy, Carl Heim, he, he pointed out this. He says, disciples tend to collect everything they can about a dead prophet. They search for every scrap of his biography, Every incident in his life, every word he ever spoke, that retrieval is so important because it's all they have of him. But with a living person, the emphasis is decidedly different. Listen to this. The gospel writers, the evangelists, say about Jesus only what is necessary to introduce him to others. You get that? John said, I didn't have to tell you all. I'm, I'm, giving, you the, I'm giving you the main the main deal. I'm, I'm going to introduce you to this man. So I didn't tell the whole story, but what I wrote, because what's going to happen is that going forward, no one else will have, after, after Jesus ascends, no one else will have the, the, the benefit of Thomas. No one else will have the upper room visitation like the other disciples did when they locked themselves in the room because they're scared. From now on, it will be for you and me. It's been faith. I never saw the risen Lord physically and personally. Maybe you did. I'd like to talk to you about that you, you could probably get a book deal or even a movie deal. But he says, I, I'm writing this gospel, John is saying. I'm writing it for people who haven't seen the Lord and who won't see him until he appears again. And so I've selected these many miraculous, out of these many miraculous signs, I've selected just enough to demonstrate this, that Jesus is who he claimed to be. And so we go all the way back around, and we find out that we come all the way to the end of John's gospel, 
We find out, we come back. The words of T.S. Eliot, like this, he says in, 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 in one of his poems, he says, we shall not cease from exploration at the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time. They've come around and they've arrived back where they started and we've gotten, in, in John's story, we've come back to chapter one where John said, that this is what I've been trying to tell you all along, that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the world and the world was made by him. The world didn't know him, know him and on and on and on. You know, the word became flesh, verse 14, and dwelt among us and, 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 and we beheld his glory. No man has seen God at any time, but God, the one and only who's from the Father's side, has made him known. Through, you know, the, the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus. Jesus Christ. Now John is saying, I've given you seven signs. I've told you of his death, his burial, his resurrection, and I brought you all the way back around to see this one man that had to have this evidence because that's the way human beings are. But in the end, going forward, no one else will see this kind of thing, but I'm telling you this so that you have the, the, the sufficient content and truth and that you have the story so that you can believe. John is saying, this is why I wrote my book. So that, as Jesus says, Blessed are those who will see, who believe without seeing. I wrote this book so that you would believe and that you would have life. I'm almost done. But listen, I'll tell you a little bit about myself as we wrap this up. I, I and this will come as no surprise to anybody, I, I, but I know I don't know everything. And I... But the one thing I have come to believe, I stand in, like I tell you, Thomas is my hero. And I tell you the two things. Number one, he doesn't claim to know what he don't know. He doesn't claim to believe what he doesn't believe. But when he's, when he's, when he's in, he's in. But the real thing that I'm with Thomas on is this. I can stand and say, my Lord and my God. You see? I didn't see the, 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 the nail marks in his hand. I didn't reach out my hand and put it into his side. I didn't see him come into the, the room, so to speak. But I, I heard the words of Scripture. I heard the call of the gospel on my life. I heard the, the appeal. I heard the truth about who God is and who Jesus is. And, and I chose. There's a lot of moving around going, here. Oh, that's because of the baby out there. Okay. I chose to, 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 to make that, to, 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 to I chose to believe the gospel. And, I, I, you know, this, this, um, this Easter, I, I was deeply affected by the Good Friday service. I know I didn't show it right. I was deeply affected by Easter because, you know what? All my life, I don't, singers, I will relieve you. I just want the band. Thank you. I, just, I got to teach these guys. I, I get to the, to, the, to the end, and ends there's so much movement in me. It's just really distracting. I bless y'all. Because I realize at this point in my life more than ever that I really do believe that Jesus died for my sins. I realize that I really, I, in my heart, there there were times in my life that, that I, I had questions as well. There are times when I, I've had to think through the plausibility and the viability of, 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 of God suffering and dying for my sins. I had to think about the, 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 the concept of Jesus rising from the grave. I, I had to go through all this, but I, 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 at this season of my life I realized... Those doubts have been settled. But they're not settled because I was a church kid. Said I just buy everything. They say, because that's what my mama believed. Everything my mama believed, I have put it to the test. Let me tell you something. I've changed my mind on some things. And some of you know that I've changed my mind on some things since I've been here. Probably since last week. I evolve in my thinking. I may, I, 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 I'm always, and, and my wife will tell you this about me, I'm always messing with stuff. That's the way I am. God knows he made me that way. He gave me the mind he gave me. I've had my doubts. I've had my uncertainties. And I want to tell you this, my friend. God accepts you and loves you with all of your doubts and all of your uncertainties and all of your questions. He invites you to the foot of the cross to look up and to see the Son of God who died for you and to cry out, my Lord and my God.
He loves you. So this morning, maybe there is a little bit of a benefit to the doubt. Unbelief never pays. Unbelief will never get you anywhere. But your doubts properly addressed brings you to a place of faith. Now, nowhere in the Bible, and I'm just about done, does it say, does it dictate outside of one basic thing? Because Thomas didn't say, you know, Jesus standing on top and say, oh, so the one in Genesis about the, the giants and the angels and the daughter, that's really real, huh? That happened just the way. You, you, you get where I'm going? Some of the stuff in the Bible that you don't understand that you, that you struggle with. Jesus doesn't say, come to me once you've figured all that out and you believe everything that everybody, you, everything your mama told you, everything that, that, that cross-eyed preacher in that revival meeting when you was 12 years old, all the, when you believe all, when you are totally convinced of all that, then come to me. When you resolve every Bible discrepancy, every difficulty, every so-called contradiction, and you've got it all reconciled, he doesn't say, come to me then. He doesn't say you can't be saved because you don't agree with this issue or that issue when we're out in the concentric circles, because you've got faith in the middle, you've got Jesus crucified, risen from the dead, faith in Christ, and you've got stuff that's out here on the, in the outer periphery, like, well, what, what kind of baptism, what kind of, what, you know, we've got, we got peripheral issues. Talk about the second coming of Christ. Some of you may be surprised. There are different opinions about that within the body of Christ among saved people, and they're out here on the periphery. They're, they're not unimportant, but they're out here, and then people keep trying to push them to the middle. It's like, if you don't believe in the way we believe it, you can't be saved. Balderdash. Thomas shows us what is essential for salvation is when you come to believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the Son of God, the Messiah that God sent into the world who died for our sins, who rose from the grave. And when you see that and you're able to say, my Lord, my Messiah, the one I've been looking for, the Savior of the world and my God, that's what it takes. And that's where it starts. And you come and you bring your questions and you bring your issues and you bring your doubts and you bring your hangups and you bring all your stuff and you come to the foot of the cross because you'll never work that stuff out apart from God anyway. You need his help and you need the Spirit's guidance to to work through that stuff. But we keep waiting because church people kind of make us think that you got to be perfect before you come this way. Not so. So like Thomas, I got to stop. You and I can be honest about our doubts, our questions. Jesus knows them before you speak them. Listen, listen. In Matthew 7, Sermon on the Mount, and I'm closing with this and then we'll pray. Um, Jesus says, ask and you shall receive, right? Seek and you will find and knock and it will be open to you. Now, I know for many of us, we stop with, the, with ask and you shall receive. That's it. That's, that's the money verse right there, baby. That, 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 that's the car. That's the clothes. That's the house. You know, that's ask. And, you know, Ask for what you want. I receive my new Bentley. I receive my Armani suit. I receive my house in Playa Vista. Well, they don't have houses in Playa Vista. They go, I receive my condo in Playa Vista. Uh, you know, Jesus, listen. To you as a weary wanderer, as a seeker, as a searcher, as one with deep questions in your heart, understand, you know what Jesus is really talking about? Certainly it includes your needs, but you know what he's talking in your life journey, in your quest for truth, in your search for reality, in your quest for meaning, you ask for God to show you and to lead you and guide you. He says you will receive that. You'll receive what you need. But more than that, you'll receive because you seek and you will find the truth. You knock on the door of truth and truth will be open to you. Stand with me, will you?